0: Well, today, Labor Day weekend, we're going to wrap up this uh, series on Beatitudes. We're going to uh, try to see what it takes to be able to put these uh, Beatitudes into practice and kind of a, I guess, conclusion to it all. I trust that this summer was a, a good time to learn a little bit more about these Beatitudes and maybe even allow you to be a little more interested maybe to look them up yourself and do a little more word study on those things. But uh, I, I want us to re- remember that these Beatitudes are Jesus' pattern for living. It's, it, these verses deal with attitudes, what we think in our hearts and our outlook on life. And these Beatitudes are the attitudes that ought to be in our lives as true Christians. If we are followers of Christ, we should be able to uh, have these, these Beatitudes come out into our lives as well, too. And we should be living them out. They are His essential teachings as to how we should approach life. Let me review just quickly <clears throat> these different aspects of the Beatitudes. Being poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So our attitude toward ourselves, in which we feed our need and admit it, that's the kind of attitude we should have in this being poor in spirit, this where we walk away from pride and confess our need for Christ. We need Him every day. And we should live with an understanding of how much we need Him and of how helpless we are without Him. Just consider it for a moment what life would be without Jesus. I don't want to consider it very long, (laughs) because it's not a pretty picture. Then being mournful, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 4 of of Matthew chapter 5. And it's our attitude towards sin, a true sorrow for sin, and to face that sorrow with Christ at our side. When we are willing to face the source of our hurts and our sin first, comfort comes as Christ helps us through them. Then there's being meek. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's about our attitude toward others and to serve others as Christ serves us. So being meek is when we are teachable and we don't defend ourselves when we are wrong. That's a difficult stance because we always want to correct others who might have an error uh, viewpoint of us. Then being hungry and thirsty Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Our our attitude toward God is expressed here, and we receive His righteousness by faith because we ask for it. (laughs) We crave righteousness more than our basic needs. And then being merciful, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Our attitude is a forgiving spirit here, and loving others by lending a hand when they are in need. And then in verse 8 being pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Our attitude is to keep our lives clean and to remain focused on the true savior in a world of all these counterfeit messiahs because our attentions are going to be drawn away from where we need to be focused on who we need to be focused on. So we need to be on guard with that. And then in verse 9, being peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And our attitude is to to, to bring peace and harmony to broken relationships between people and God and between those who are at odds with each other by sharing the gospel of peace. And then uh, being persecuted, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So our attitude is to realize that all who live godly lives will suffer persecution and to accept that the world will not stand up and applaud as we serve Christ. (laughs) Not going to happen. But Jesus will not let our efforts be in vain. He stands by His people when they strive to be more like Him. So as followers of Christ, that's our goal, to be more like Him, following Him in everything He says and does. And so these beatitudes mean nothing if we don't make them our attitudes. He has explained to us what it means to live this way, and now Jesus encourages us to get on with it, do these things. In the following verses of Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 13, this is where we're going to land here today. He says, You are the salt of, uh, salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We'll stop there at verse 16. So he was speaking to people who lived by simple means, and, and so he uses two simple illustrations to get them motivated, salt and light. Now, salt was one, one of their staples, serving as a seasoning and, more importantly, as a preservative, and light was what they gauged their days by. They patterned their lives after the rising and setting of the sun. So, how do these two things move us to put the Beatitudes into practice? Well, I want us to look at these two items, salt and light. We'll look at salt first, and then we'll look at uh, light later. So, salt. Both both tears and sweat are salty. If you've noticed, as you cry, you kind of... If the tears get really good, you can kind of get them in your mouth. They're a little salty. But also sweat is salty too. But they give a different result. Someone once said, tears will get you sympathy, sweat will get you change. So they come with different results. You are the salt of the earth. Now, while salt that is mixed into the earth actually prevents growth, if you ever dump salt all over your lawn, I pity you because now your, your lawn is probably going to have a hard, hard time there, <clears throat> but uh, the phrase salt of the earth has come to mean the kind of people who promote growth, and that growth happens all around them, and also the kind of person that we all should have a great deal of respect for. It's not so much the people who attract a lot of attention but the people who hold our world together just by doing what they believe is right. It's people who give their time to help with the church property and the building. It's the people who pray regularly for the requests of others. It's the people who provide a meal for those who are dealing with life's difficult circumstances. It's the people who offer their time to help with the car troubles of those who are clueless about cars. These are the kind of people that Jesus brought together to form our church family. Generous, active, willing to help. And notice that Jesus says, this is the kind of people we are. It's, it's not were, or should be, or must be, or can be, or may be. He says we are this kind of people. The part of living for Him is being who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and doing what we can as followers of Jesus to make the world around us a better place. We don't need fancy programs or expensive gifts or elaborate worship services to make a difference. We just have to do what God gives us to do when the time comes for us to do it. Doing what we can with what we have. We need to put the Beatitudes into practice and allow Jesus to mold us and make a difference through us. When we do, we bring flavor to the world and all around us, just like salt flavors the food it comes in contact with. When we don't, (laughs) we are like salt that has lost its saltiness. Now, salt losing its saltiness isn't a picture we can relate to very well. When have we ever seen salt that has lost its saltiness? We buy a container of salt, we stick it in the cupboard, and five or ten years later, it's still salt. It doesn't lose its saltiness. And Jesus, though, here is drawing a picture from real-life experience to make His points. You see, in Israel, salt was taken from the shores of the Dead Sea and the hill of salt in a 15-square-mile area at the southwest corner of the Dead Sea. And this area was traditionally associated with the fate of Lot's wife. You remember her? It was transformed into a pillar of salt when she looked back on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. As such, salt was of the rock or fossil variety. And because of impurities and the occurrence of chemical changes, the outer layer was generally lacking in flavor. It was salt, but it had lost its saltiness. And Most of it was discarded as worthless. It was literally thrown out and walked over as the miners chipped it away to get at the fresh salt underneath. So, salt can lose its saltiness when it's exposed to the elements for too long, which is probably why we read in other places in the Bible that we are to be in the world but not of the world. When we're in the world acting as salt does to food, we make a positive difference. When we're of the world, just sitting around letting the sin of the world wear us down, we become like salt that loses its saltiness. So salt is a a seasoning, but salt is also a preservative. I recently discovered that before the age of refrigeration, fishermen used to store their fish in salt barrels. This allowed them to preserve the fish and stay out fishing longer. I suppose Fred could confirm that for us too, being a fisherman. Don't know if he still uses salt barrels anymore. But (laughs) But now how do we, described by Jesus as the salt of the earth, preserve the world around us? We are constantly bombarded by the message that the world we live in is falling apart. So what are we doing to preserve whatever good is left? imagine, Imagine what the world would be like if Christians simply gave up trying to make a difference. Imagine a world like that. Imagine if we ignored the Beatitudes altogether and just worried about ourselves. Portland, along with the counties of Multnomah and Clackamas, see quite a bit of poverty and homelessness. Portland Rescue Mission, Union Gospel Mission, City Team Ministries, Transitional Youth, and other ministries like that serve and feed the homeless, attempting to help them change their lifestyle and the trajectory of their lives. All Christian organizations. These are the outworking of Christians taking seriously the the Beatitude, Blessed are the the merciful. And imagine if they all stopped showing mercy. Those people in the Portland area would be in a worse situation than they are now. Our society is letting morals and values slip away. Newsflash. (laughs) But these these were things we held high uh, so long ago, but now doesn't happen very much these days. Imagine how much faster... These morals and values would go if Christians stopped standing up for truth. Our world struggles keeping everybody alive and well. Imagine what the world would be like if Christians hadn't started the hospitals or the schools or the charities which help so many millions of people. Imagine what the world would be like without all those things. When we look at the world we live in, it's not hard to get depressed at its, its state of unrest and uncertainty. On Thursday after, uh, mornings, we gather for prayer, and one of the prayer items on our list, at the very beginning part of it, 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 it talks, we talk about our city, we talk about our county, our, our state, we talk about our nation, we talk about our world. When we get to the world, it's like, okay, pray for something, because there's a lot of things to pray about. <laughs> you think about that, it's overwhelming. But could, it could be so much worse, though, if Christians were not preserving so much and enhancing so much around them. One last fascinating thing about salt before we turn to the topic of light. Sodium is an extremely active element found naturally only in a combined form. It always links itself to another element. Chlorine, on the other hand, is the poisonous gas that that gives bleach its power and strong odor. If you've ever cleaned your bathroom or whatever it is, use that to clean. You got to have a ventilated area or you're going to be in trouble. Now, when sodium and chlorine are combined, the result is sodium chloride, table salt. It's a substance we use to preserve meat and bring out its flavor. Love and truth can be like sodium and chlorine. Love without truth is inconsistent. It's sometimes blind and willing to combine with various doctrines all around. You have love, that's great. Don't have the truth, there's a problem. On the other hand, truth by itself can be pretty offensive sometimes even poisonous. Truth spoken without love, it can turn people away from the gospel real quick. But when truth and love are combined in an individual or even also to church body, then we have what Jesus called the salt of the earth. And we're able to preserve and bring out the beauty of our faith. Bring those two together, we have a powerful combination of love and truth. Well, let's look at the second analogy that Jesus talked about, light. He uses, that, he uses it of a, of a light shining in the darkness. As with the image of the salt of the earth, Jesus tells His listeners that, we, that they are the light of the world, not were or should be or must be or can be or may be. He says we are the light of the world. The idea of this picture is that we are to be a presence in the world just like light is in darkness. Now, light doesn't adapt to darkness or cooperate with darkness or blend in with darkness. Light is the opposite of darkness. Even if the light is very dim, it's still light and it dispels the darkness around it. The city on the hill picture amplifies the concept being a, a visible, distinct presence in the world. Cities on hills were built for security, and they were visible for miles around. Our actions should, should make us stand out in the world just like a city on a hill, or a candle in the darkness. Not in the sense of showing off. Jesus has some pretty strong words about that but in the sense that our actions as His disciples are to stand out from the way the world does things. In a world that rounds up children for its factories and armies and gangs, followers of Jesus help children survive, grow, and learn how to help others. In a world where where dictators take the food from the mouths of their people to feed their expensive habits, followers of Jesus accumulate food and give it to those in need. In a world that says anything goes, we say God stays, God is first, God is important. But we can try to hide our light, it's possible, it can happen. We hide our light by being quiet when we should speak, those moments that we should probably stand up for truth and we don't. We hide our light by going along with the crowd, maybe because it's safer. We don't want to cause any problems or like that. We can hide our light by denying the light. And look how it worked out for Peter. <laughs> Not so well. We can hide our light by letting sin dim our light. And that's where we need to make sure that we are ones who are following Jesus closely. I'm reminded of Randy Butler he used to be a pastor over at Salem Evangelical Church. He would always pray for himself and others around him that they would be clean and close to God. And that's what needs to happen if you don't want sin to dim your light, staying clean and close to God. We hide our light by not explaining our light to others. People look at you and wonder, oh, how in the world are you getting through this time? We've had so much chaos going on in the last two, three years. How are you able to survive through this? And if you just go, well, I just survive, it's good. And you don't tell them about it, don't tell them why, what's your source, then we're hiding our light. We can hide our light by ignoring the needs of others as well. We hear about a need that's going on within the church, or we hear about a need that's going on in our neighborhood, maybe a neighbor down the road. We don't do anything about it, and we can do something about it. We're hiding our light. Because as Scripture tells us, doing our good deeds and let people see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Be a beacon of truth, and don't shut your light off from the rest of the world. <laughs> they need to see that light. The light points to a hope. Now, hope that we have in us that we need to let others know about as well. Now, two analogies here, salt and light, are meant to say the same thing. Be my people in the world I have put you in. Be my people that I, in the world that I put you in. Jesus expects us to do something with what we have. Not to hide it under a bowl. Not the, not the hide it, not let your light shine from, for others to see. The picture of salt shows us that we enhance, even preserve the world around us. And the picture of light shows us that while we live in this world, we are not to blend in. We should stand out. We stand out not to show off, but because that is the very nature of following a Savior who stood out as well. We're following Jesus close enough, we're going to stand out because He stood out. I'm going to end this with a little longer story, so that's why I'm starting it now, to do this. But let me read to you a, a, a story about light that I think takes these words of Jesus and applies them to our time here and now. The story is about uh, some stubborn candles. A few nights ago, a peculiar thing happened. An electrical storm caused a blackout in our neighborhood. When the lights went out, I felt my way through the darkness into the storage closet where we keep the candles. Through the glow of a lit match, I looked up on the shelf where the candles were stored. There they were, already positioned in their stands, melted to various degrees by previous use. I took my match and lit four of them. How they illuminated the storage room. What had been a veil of blackness suddenly radiated with soft golden light. I could see the freezer. I had just bumped my knee and my my tools that needed to be straightened. How great it is to have light, I said out loud and then spoke to the candles. (laughs) If you do such a good job here on the storage closet, just wait till I get you out where you're really needed. I'll put one of you on my table so we can eat. I'll put one of you on my desk so I can read. I'll give one of you to my wife so she can cross-stitch. And I'll set you, taking down the big one, in the living room where you can light up the whole area. I felt foolish talking to candles. But what do you do when the lights go out? I was turning to leave with a, with, uh, with a large candle in my hand when I heard a voice. Now hold it right there. Who said that? I did, the voice was near my hand. Who are you? What are you? I'm a candle. I looked at the candle I was holding, it was burning a strong golden flame. It was red and sat on a heavy wooden candle holder that had a firm handle. I lifted up the candle to take a closer look. You wouldn't believe what I saw. There was a tiny face in the wax. Not just a wax face that someone had carved, but a moving, functioning, flesh-like face full of expression and life. Don't take me out of here. What? I said, don't take me out of this room. What do you mean? I have to take you out. You're a candle. Your job is to give light. It's dark out there. People are stubbing their toes and walking into the walls. You have to come out and light up the place. But you can't take me out. I'm not ready," the candle explained with pleading eyes. I need more preparation. Couldn't believe my ears. <laughs> more preparation? Yeah, I've, I've noticed I, I, I decided I need to research this job of light giving, so I won't go out and make a bunch of mistakes. You'd be surprised how distorted the glow of untrained candle can be. So, I'm doing some studying. I just finished a book on wind resistance. I'm in the middle of a great podcast on wick buildup and conservation, and I'm reading the bestseller on flame display. Have you heard of it? No, I answered. You might like it. It's called Waxing Eloquently. Well, that's, that really sounds, uh, it and then I caught myself, what am I doing? I'm in here conversing with a candle while my family's out there in the darkness. All right, then, I said, you're not the only candle on the shelf. I'll blow you out and take the others. But just as I got my cheeks full of air, I heard other voices, we're not going either. It was a conspiracy. I turned around and looked at the other three candles, each with flames dancing above a miniature face. I was beyond feeling awkward about talking to candles. I was getting miffed. You are candles, and your job is to light dark places. Well, that's your opinion, said the candle on the far left, a long, thin fellow with a goatee and a British accent. You think we have to go, but I'm busy. Busy? (laughs) Yes, I'm meditating. What? A candle that meditates? Yes, I'm meditating on the importance of light. It's enlightening. I decided to reason with them. Listen, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I'm all for meditation time, and everyone needs to study and research, but for crying out loud, you guys have been here for weeks. Haven't you had enough time to get your wick on straight? And you other two, I asked, are you going to stay in here as well? A short, fat, purple candle with plump cheeks that reminded me of Santa spoke up. "'I'm waiting to get my life together. "'I'm not stable enough. "'I lose my temper easily. "'I guess you could say that I'm a hothead.'" The last candle had a female voice, very pleasant to the ear. "'I'd like to help,' she explained. "'But lighting the darkness is not my gift.'" All this was sounding too familiar. Not your gift? What do you mean? Well, I'm a singer. I sing to other candles to encourage them to burn more brightly. Without asking my permission, she began a rendition of this little light of mine. The other three joined in, filling the storage room with singing. Hey, 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 I shouted above the music. I don't mind if you sing while you work. In fact, you could use a little, we could use a little music out there. They didn't even hear me. They were singing too loudly, and then I yelled louder, Come on! There's plenty of time for this later! We got a crisis on our hands! They wouldn't stop. I put the big candle on the shelf, took a step back, and considered the silliness of it all. Four perfectly healthy candles, singing to each other about light, but refusing to come out of the closet. I had all I could take. One by one, I blew them out. They kept singing to the end. The last one to flicker was the female. I snuffed her out right in the puff part of won't let Satan puff me out. Stuck my hands in my pockets, walked back out into the darkness, bumped my knee on the same freezer. Then I bumped into my wife. Where are the candles? She asked. They, don't, they won't work. Where did, where did you buy those candles anyway? Oh, they're church candles. Remember the church that closed down across town? I bought them there. And it was then that I understood. Light, if it is hidden from sight, illuminates nothing. Salt, if it stays in the cupboard, flavors nothing. The Beatitudes, if they don't become our attitudes, mean nothing in a world that desperately needs Christians to take them seriously. It's what we've been building up all summer long. Learn about the Beatitudes. Once you have it, you've got those Beatitudes. You've got to do something with them. We can come day Sunday after Sunday to get messages, fill up on those messages, but if we don't live them out, we'll just be gorging ourselves on things and not being able to get it out. We need to be able to let others know what God has done for us, live it out before people, living these beatitudes, having those beatitudes become our attitudes. And in order to do that, we need to be the salt and we need to be the light of this world, letting people see those beatitudes in us. When these, uh, these attitudes, beatitudes are taken to heart, God blesses the world through us, and we are blessed by God as we strive to make His Word our Word. Let me wrap this all up with one final reading of the Beatitudes to remind us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And have the worship team come on up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs. This next song that they'll lead us, I pray that this song will speak to our hearts, because as... Salt bearers and light bearers, we need to be ready to be used by God. And God is going to take you to places you probably haven't even thought of or imagined how God was going to use you. And as we sing this next song, I trust that it will be something that will speak to your heart to prepare you for what God has for you since you are salt and since you are light to this world.